disclaimer that months ago I felt led to preach this series, including this particular psalm. Long before the events that have surrounded the nomination of Judge Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. And the reason I say that is because I don't want anyone to hear the message today and say, oh, I know why he's preaching this. The answer is I'm preaching this because months ago God led me to prepare to preach this message before I knew anything about what our nation would have gone through over these last few months. And I also want you to know that one of the reasons our nation is in the mess it's in is because there are a lot of people who have done a lot of ungodly things to other people. This has been a hard time for many people that I know, many of my friends, and even uh, some of our church members who have been the victims of abuse. And this has brought back a lot of painful memories and experiences, and I understand that. In fact, our, my philosophy has always been that uh, every allegation of wrongdoing must be taken seriously. It must be taken seriously immediately. It must be investigated by the proper authorities because people's lives are in the balance. And a lot of people have been hurt because we don't follow God's word when he says we are to love him with all of our heart and we're to love our neighbor as ourself. Man, our world would be a different place if people would just do that. And so it is a fact that many people have been harmed and many people have been abused. I'm not speaking one way or the other. If you want to know my personal opinion, you can ask. But uh, I don't bring my politics or personal opinions into the pulpit. I preach God's word. And if it offends Republicans or Democrats or Independents, so be it. Take it up with the guy who wrote the book, God. But it is also equally true that there have been people falsely accused of wrongdoing. And that one of the basic human rights is that a person is innocent until proven guilty. And those are not two opposing truths. Those are two truths that we hold in tension. That a person who makes an allegation needs to be taken seriously and believed. But a person who is accused is presumed innocent until there is evidence otherwise. It's a dangerous world to be a victim and not be believed. It is also a dangerous world to be an innocent person accused wrongly. And Psalm 27 is where we're going to be studying today. And it was written by David, the king of Israel. We don't know if he wrote this before he became the king or while he was king, but he is being opposed by his enemies, and he is being falsely accused. His character is being maligned. People are seeking to destroy him and everything he stands for, and he's fighting for his life. He's living through some testing times. And so months ago, God led me to preach through the top favorite Psalms, and today was the day we chose for Psalm 27. It's not a political statement. It's me doing what I always do. I'm preaching the word of God. But we're dealing with people even in this room who knows what it's like not only to be a victim, we also have people who know what it's like to be maligned, to be slandered. A wife is slandered by her husband when he tells the kids that she had an affair and that's why I left her knowing full well he's lying, only to destroy her image in the eyes of the kids. A child accuses his parents of physical child abuse 
only because they caught him smoking pot and put him on restriction. And he got angry and started accusing them of physical abuse. And DCF shows up at the house. A pastor falsely accused of sexual harassment by a church member. An employee, or an employee accuses the employer of discrimination only because the employee didn't get the promotion he thought he should have gotten. A child bullied at school, laughed at, called names, ugly, vulgar names, including on social media, to the point where the child contemplated suicide. Every single example I've just shared with you has a face and a name that I know personally. So my message today is going to be on David saying, God, I need your help here. I'm living through testing times where I'm being attacked and accused and I've not done anything wrong. God, I need you to come through for me. And for some of us in this room, you may need to take some good notes because the day may come where you find yourself in the same situation in which David found himself. Innocent, but condemned. And so he wrote Psalm 27 really for himself, but also as an example to us of how to respond during testing times. When we're going through the furnace of what people are doing to us, we need to learn to trust God then more than ever. Now, I don't want you to take my word for all of this. I want you to open up your Bible to Psalm 27, and we're just going to walk through these verses together, and I want to share with you three observations that I think David would have us to see that when we're going through trying times, we need to trust God. And what will that do when we trust God, when we choose to put our confidence, our faith in God to help us during those times? Well, first of all, trusting God will make you worship. Trusting God will make you worship. One of the evidences that you are trusting God is that you are worshiping God, that you are focusing on God and declaring your faith in Him, and you are praising Him for who He is and for what He has done and what He will do for you. And that's what we find here in the first six verses of Psalm 27. We see David trusting God, and we see David worshiping God. For example, he, he begins in verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? David is worshiping. David is declaring his praise for God and his faith in God. And he is rehearsing who he knows God to be. The Lord, uh, the, the covenant-keeping God of Israel, Yahweh, the Lord is my light. When I need guidance, God is there. God illumines the darkness so that I can be guided by his Holy Spirit. The Lord is my light and the Lord is my salvation. He is my deliverance. My hope of being delivered from the hands of my enemies is in none other than the Lord himself. The Lord is my light and my salvation. And the Lord is the stronghold of my life. The Lord is the defense of my life. He's my delight. He's my deliverance. He's my defense. And I run to him 
And I find in him the safety and the protection that I need. And because the Lord is with me, whom shall I fear? Because the Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? David says, I'm reminding myself that God is on my side and he is bigger than any enemy that has opposed me. He's worshiping God. He continues in verse 2, When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, he's picturing these evildoers as people seeking to destroy him like a wild animal will attack and devour its prey. He says, When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. David says, God's going to turn it around. They're trying to destroy me, but they themselves will be destroyed. They will stumble. They will fall. Verse 3, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. He says, no matter how bad things get, evildoers assail me. An army surrounds me. War is declared against me. I'm going to keep my confidence in God who is my light, my salvation, the stronghold of my life. And notice verse 4. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after. What is that one thing? God, if you would just answer one prayer for me, here's what it is. And notice, he doesn't pray for money. He doesn't pray for popularity. He's not even at this point directly praying for deliverance. He's praying for God to be the deliverer. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after. Here it is, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David is saying, God, if you'll just do one thing in my heart, would you allow me to dwell in the temple. Now, in this day, Solomon's temple, that beautiful, magnificent building has not yet been constructed. The temple that David is referring to is a tent that the children of Israel would set up in the midst of their encampment and the holy presence of God would be uniquely manifest in that place. And David is saying, I'm not looking for a place per se. I'm looking for a person. I'm looking for you, Lord. I want to be in your presence. I want to draw closer to you. God, you are everything I need. You're everything I have. I just want to be with you. I want to be drawn closer to you. And that is an amazing prayer. Because typically when I'm going through difficult times, maybe when you are going through difficult times, your flesh wants you to draw away from God. You stop coming to church. You stop reading your Bible. You stop singing praise to God. You stop telling other people how good God is. And you start singing the blues. But David says, no God, I'm not going to let my enemies drive a wedge between me and you. I'm going to let my enemies drive me closer to you. I just want to be in your presence. I want to be with you. We sang that song last week. Surrounded. You remember those words that said, this is how I fight my battles. 
in the valley, I know you're with me, and surely your goodness and mercy follow me. So my weapons are praise and thanksgiving. This is how I fight my battles, and I believe you've overcome. So I will lift my song of praise for what you've done. This is how I fight my battles. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. I think that's what David is praying here. God, I want to let you be the focus of my heart and my attention. Because something amazing happens whenever we worship God and we see him for who he is revealed through his word and through worship. We discover that he is, always has been, always will be, bigger than any enemy or problem we face. That's what worship does for us. It realigns our focus. It realigns our priorities. It puts our problems in perspective. That my problems are real. My enemies are real. But my God is greater. My God is stronger than any struggle that I face. Verse 5, he says, For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. David says, my enemies are still out there, but I'm in here with my God, and I'm going to sing his praises, and I'm going to claim the victory even before it has come because I'm with God, and God is with me, and nothing can separate us. That's what he's doing. He's worshiping because there's something powerful about worship. Worship is warfare. Worship is Drawing near to God. And he's promised, you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. So trusting God, verses 1 through 6, trusting God will make you worship. But notice verses 7 through 12, trusting God will make you wrestle. There's a a shift in the emotion that we sense in Psalm 27. A shift between verses 1 through 6 and verses 7 through 12. Verses 1 through 6, man, you feel the emotions. David is surrounded by his enemies, but he also knows he's surrounded by God. David knows that he is no match for his enemies, but his enemies are no match for his God. And David is triumphant, and he is confident, and he is bold, and he is worshipful. But then something happens between... Verses 1 through 6 and 7 through 12, David, his emotions shift and it almost feels like he's becoming timid and tentative. And his faith is being tested. Okay, I know this is true about God, but I'm not seeing it true in my own personal experience right now. I believe God's going to come in for me, through for me, but right now, I sure hope he doesn't forsake me. Notice if you pick up on this shift in the emotions, beginning with verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, and be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Verse 9, hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Oh, you who have been my help. 
Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. Did you hear how the shift from confidence and joy to concern and heartfelt desperation in prayer Oh, God, I know you said you won't forsake me. Please don't forsake me. God, you're the one who said, seek my face. Don't you see my heart? I'm sincere. I'm seeking your face, God. So why haven't you answered my prayer yet? You know, I love the Psalms because they're so honest about how life really is. I can be here with you on a Sunday morning And man, I can preach and believe everything I'm saying to you with every fiber of my being. And then Monday rolls around and a problem comes or a pain or a difficulty or something that is frightening. And I can wrestle with my faith because the easiest thing I do is preach about faith. The hardest thing I do is live by faith. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So easy to say amen on Sunday morning, sing these songs, lift our hands in praise, and really mean it. And we're sincere, we believe it. But man, we get out there, and life gets difficult. And we start thinking to ourselves, God, you said pray, you said believe, you said worship. I'm doing all these things. God, when are you coming through for me? God, I know you said you won't forsake me. Please don't forsake me. God, I'm praying, but are you turning your face from me? Are you hearing me when I pray? Because you haven't come through for me yet. I can relate to that feeling that David had. David is wrestling with his faith, and God is allowing him to wrestle with his faith because you will only grow in your faith as your faith is tested and you discover on the other side of that test that everything you believe about God is true and that he is worthy of your faith. Now you don't have a faith passed down to you because mama told you, put your faith in God. Now you've got faith in God because you've gone through the fiery furnace. You've gone through those sleepless nights. You have prayed those heartfelt prayers. You have searched the scriptures for answers. You have come to this service with a broken heart seeking the face of God. And you have gone through those times where it felt like God was a million miles away. But on the other side, he came through. And now you've got personal faith. You've got your testimony. You know this is God because you've seen him work in your life. And David is wrestling with his faith. And I'm going to tell you, if you wrestle with your faith, you're in good company. All the saints of God will wrestle. And trusting God will make you worship. Trusting God will make you wrestle. And you know there's another W, right? I'm a Baptist preacher. you got to give them three points with the same letter, alliteration. So you'll see in the last two verses, trusting God will make you wait. Trusting God will make you wait. I've discovered something about God. He is not on my time schedule. Anybody else? You, you must know what I'm talking about. 
You see, whenever I tell my kids, take out the garbage, I mean now. I don't mean later. I don't mean tomorrow. I don't mean next week. I don't mean when it's pouring over into the floor. When I, when I, because number one, that I've even had to say it kind of bothers me. Am I the only one that sees this trash can is overflowing? <laughs> so when I'm at the point, I have to say, hey, take out the garbage. I mean now. And sometimes I want to treat God like he's my child. Hear my prayer, answer this problem, resolve it, get rid of this enemy, give me some money in my bank account, heal my body. Whatever that prayer may be, and I mean now. <laughs> I don't mean next week, next month, next year. I don't mean in eternity. I mean now. I want you to come through for me now. But God is not a child that we can summon him at our beck and call. He is God. He is king. He is in control. And he's going to teach us that trusting him means we must worship. Trusting him means we will wrestle when we don't understand his timing or his ways. And trusting him means we're going to have to wait for him to come through in his own time. David comes to that conviction. Verse 13, I believe. I love that word. I believe. I have confidence. I am assured that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. David says, I believe it with all my heart that God's going to be good to me in this life and that my enemies will not have the last word over me. I believe it. Verse 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. I believe it, even though I don't yet have it. I believe it, even though I can't yet see it. That is living by faith. The Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. Faith reaches into the invisible, and faith reaches into the future. And it says I can be confident that God is going to be good to me. But I'm going to have to wait. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Who's David singing to? He said, well, he's singing to us. Yeah, and I'm glad he is. We had this psalm, and it's for us. But I believe he was also talking to himself. He's been talking to himself this whole time. The Lord is my light, and he is my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. This is who I know about the Lord. And I'm going to have to trust. And I'm going to have to wait. And be strong. And be brave. Until God comes through for me. Instead of retaliating. Instead of giving up on my faith. I just trust God. I told you at the very beginning, I've, I've been very heartbroken over these last few weeks, what I've seen our nation go through. Because unless you've been in someone else's shoes, it's hard for you to understand. There's some people who have been hurt and wronged, and it feels like they're all alone. And they see things differently. 
We need to be sensitive to that. And there are people who have also been wronged in a different way. They've been wronged by people that have spread lies or gossip about them. But do you understand Jesus understands all? No matter what you've gone through, he understands. He knows what it's like to be abused, mistreated, spit upon, slapped, whipped, beaten, bloodied, even killed. He knows. He knows in a way that none of us can ever know. And he also knows what it's like to be maligned, to be lied about, to be slandered, to be falsely accused and condemned. Our whole system of redemption is predicated on the life of an innocent person who was willing to take all this world would throw at him and willingly die for us anyway. The innocent, spotless Son of God. So whether you've been the victim where someone has mistreated you or hurt you, Jesus knows. Or whether you're someone who says, I didn't do what they said I've done. I didn't do that. Jesus understands. It was years, years after the resurrection of Jesus where the apostle Peter was now an old man. Not long before he would be put to death by the Roman Empire for his faith in Jesus. Tradition tells us Peter was crucified but he didn't want to die like his Savior because he didn't think he was worthy to die like Jesus. So church tradition says he begged to be crucified upside down. But before he died, he wrote a letter. We have a copy of it in the Bible. We call it 1 Peter. We have two letters that he wrote, 1 Peter, 2 Peter. It just means the first letter and the second letter. But as an old man, Peter began to think about Jesus. And he started reflecting in his mind how Jesus was so mistreated physically and spiritually, and maligned by being called a blasphemer, a devil worker, a liar, and a drunkard. And he thought about that. And he wrote to Christians who were also suffering in Peter's day. And he, he said, let Jesus be your example of how you respond. He said in 1 Peter 2.21, For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned, nor deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threatened revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. Jesus could say, if God is for me, it doesn't matter who's against me. If my heavenly Father is for me, it doesn't matter who's against me. David wrote Psalm 27 as his testimony. If God is for me, it doesn't matter who's against me. I'm going to trust in God. So I'm going to worship even when I don't feel like it. I'm going to come to church even when I want to stay home. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to sing my praise, 
even when I don't feel like it, even when I'm hurting and frightened and surrounded. Because in worship, I see that my God is bigger than all my enemies. And I'm going to choose to trust God even though my faith is not perfect and I will wrestle. Some days my faith will feel strong and other days it's going to feel weak. But even in my weakness, I'm going to just keep bringing it to God. I'm going to keep telling God how I'm feeling, what I'm going through. I'm going to bring my emotions to Him. And trusting God means I'm going to learn to wait. Because God's promised good to me. And His timing is not always my timing. So in the meantime, I'm going to say to myself, wait on the Lord. Be strong. Be courageous. You wait on the Lord. Because if God is on my side, it doesn't matter who's against me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in the stillness of this moment, I believe there are people in this room who needed Psalm 27. They're feeling hurt, maligned, misunderstood, bullied, slandered. And God, they can be reminded that today, Jesus knows how they feel. They can understand that if God is for me, it doesn't matter who's against me. I've got God on my side. And I'm going to trust in him. Just like Jesus trusted in his father and was vindicated on resurrection morning, that I can trust in God and he will vindicate me in due time. Father, others in this room have been hurt, abused, mistreated. And they too are bleeding, maybe not physically, but with emotional wounds and scars that none of us see. I pray that today they see Jesus understands. He knows. He feels. And that even if someone has been against you, if God is for me, It doesn't matter who's against me because God will have the last word over me, not someone who hurt me. God, thank you for this this morning. Would you, by your Holy Spirit, take my feeble words and take your faithful, inerrant word and apply it to our hearts and our minds today and draw us closer to yourself. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.